the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And this is my time. Keep it here as Roger talks about local and national issues important to you. Talking with the leaders and newsmakers in our community. And now, here's Roger. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. The program is dedicated to protecting, preserving, and defending America's founding traditions of God, family, country. Friends, it's great to be with you today. It's, I want to thank you for the opportunity to join you here as we are, I guess, kind of settling into a brand new year. I hope your 2024 is off to a good start. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here to, to share with you a little bit about um, the things that affect us in our community, our state, and, and our nation. We have great guests. We're going to go to him in just a moment. First of all, of course, I want to remind you that the Roger Franklin Williams Show is presented by Christner's Prime Steak and Lobster. And Christner's is where you'll find generous servings of prime beef and cold water Australian lobster served in an atmosphere of old school elegance and sophistication. We are pleased to be joined by local businessman, also a local political leader on our show today. Scott Sturgill is joining us. And Scott, of course, is the CEO of DSP Partners. He's also a former candidate for office. In fact, he was a candidate for United States Congress in the last campaign cycle. And, and he's a very still continues to be a close observer of the political scene in Central Florida. And Scott, great to see you. Thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me today. It's you know, it's a beautiful uh, afternoon out here. Yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful day, and um, it's great. It's always great to get to a new start on a, on a, on a new year, a fresh start on a new year. Absolutely, and, and I'm a big fan of Christner's, your sponsor there. So, you know, probably either a little too much, um, <laughs> you know, which is kind of a little weight gain, but, uh, but yeah, great great company, great people that own that place. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's certainly a place where you can go, and as I say, you can you, once you step in the front door there, you can kind of you leave all your, your worries and cares and frustrations uh, of our everyday lives and from, from various perspectives at the door. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, David and his whole, whole team there are just phenomenal people. And, um, you know, can you share with us you know, a little bit about, first of all, let's talk about, I mentioned you were the CEO of DSP Partners. Just tell us a little bit about, about your company. So DSP Partners, so we are a, a holding company, and so we're in a couple of different market segments. So we're in the promotional products um, market segment. So we service, you know, political and corporate customers all throughout the country. Then we're in the safety products um, business as well, you know, servicing manufacturers and distributors. Um, and then we do some, then I also do some political consulting and general business development consulting as well. So kind of got a three-phased approach, you know, to our company. Um, you know, everything has kind of grown organically over the years. Um, and so it's, you know, we're proud to say that we're, we're you know, we're here in Seminole County. I'm fourth-generation Seminole County resident, born and raised here, went to Seminole High School, which I know kind of goes against your, your Popka, you know, team there. But, uh, you know, we have some good rivalries there and, you know, proud father of uh two beautiful daughters so an 18 year old and a 14 year old and then uh 
and then yeah had some personal news you know this past september i was fortunate enough to get engaged um to my wonderful uh, fiance alicia congratulations thank you i appreciate that it's a wonderful event and yes well you know well let me say hats off to the seminoles uh, this year you had an outstanding team we actually uh, played you twice and came out on the, you guys that uh, won both of those and um and and really i was really impressed with the the quality of play the talent and and the coaching of the young men yeah you know we for our, having a first year coach there um you know it was a uh, I think we were all kind of, you know, wondering what we were going to see, and, and he performed very well. And, it, uh, you know, the school has come a long way since I was there, which was graduated back in 1998. But it's, uh, you know, the program continues to be phenomenal. The, you know, the community supports the program, um, and we as a company su- support the program as well. So, you know, proud to, uh, you know, see our hometown guys, you know, continue to, you know, just, you know, produce good quality citizens and young men, you know, out of that program. So it's it's great to see. And of course, our mutual friend Patrick Austin keeps me well abreast of uh, of the successes of, of Seminole High Patrick School. Patrick is never shy about sharing, <laughs> you know, the uh, sharing the Seminoles, you know, so in our success. Now, can you talk about I'd like to shift gears a little bit now? And I know you've been, I mentioned you've been you were many. I'm sure all of our listeners recall you were a candidate for Congress in the last cycle. You've also run for the legislature, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, first of all, can you take a step way back? And just talk to us about you know, what initially got you um, inspired and motivated, if you will, to seek uh, political office the, the first time. So it was really it was just from being a business owner and seeing politicians come in my office every two years asking for contributions. And some of them we support, some of them we don't support. But I'd always ask them, you know, what did you guys get accomplished? And they'd say, well, we, we tried really hard. And I would say, well, that's great that you tried hard, but, you know. We need success. We need victories. Um, and so I finally just got, kind of got tired of seeing, you know, politicians who didn't really understand business, who didn't really, you know, they had their own agenda versus actually doing what's best for the community. And, you know, you know, I think you do what's best for the community. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. Just do the right thing. Um, and so I finally got fed up. And so I ran for Soil and Water Commission and won back in 2012. Um, you know, it was a countywide um, election. And so it was, it was a great opportunity. It was a great experience. Got to try to help a lot of people solve their issues. You know, even the stuff that had nothing to do with soil and water commission, but you know, when you're an elected official, you know, you can make calls up to Tallahassee, you can make calls to the different, um, branches of government and actually get things accomplished for people. And to me, that was the greatest feeling, you know, when you got someone who's been, you know, red tape for the last six months and they can't get anything done, but you know, as an elected official, you can call, and within five minutes, you might have their program solved or you got them in touch with the right person, you know, and just seeing like the look on their face of just pure gratitude. And, you know, you just help fix their problem. And to me, that's the best part about being elected. You know, you know, also, you know, the great people you get to meet along the pathway when you're campaigning or if you're elected, it doesn't matter. You're meeting great people who you probably wouldn't normally cross paths with. Um, but you get to hear their story. You get to hear what inspires them, you know, whether it's a business leader and find out how they built their business and you know sometimes you're comparing notes of what they did you know to get to the level and it's just it's great opportunities and great experience so um then we ran for did ran for legislature and we kind of lost in a a nail biter there um i've never been a fan of kind of following the party bosses you know you know usually when someone tells me no that's usually my first indication to you know change course and go okay i'll i'll take the challenge now um and then we ran for Congress and, you know, we ran for Congress twice, you know, it was two hard fought campaigns. 
Um, you know, but you know, the fact that I was the only only one who was actually born and raised in this county, actually in the district, you know, and but you know, sometimes that doesn't matter to voters, as we found out. Um, but to me, do what's right for your community, and that's what's always inspired me. Thanks for sharing about your background and yeah, several things that you mentioned that I'd just like to, to pick up on and. You know, one is, is, yeah, your desire to serve the citizens. And I think that's something that, you know, regardless of, of even ideology or a party affiliation, that we certainly need more of mm-hmm. our, our elected officials of all stripes that are, are dedicated to serving you know, their constituents and, and, and um, you know, being that elective elected representative and I commend you for I know about the great work you did at, on the Soul and Water Convi- um, Commission I appreciate that and thanks for sharing about it with us my pleasure and, and then uh, I guess the, the next thing kind of leads into my next question is yeah as, as you know I followed your race closely I, I made note of the fact that you were you know the local guy if you will the local hometown candidate and you know just uh, all things being equal I've always had an affection for the, the, the local candidates my, myself and and that particular and, and as we've come to know now, over the last year or two or three, we're living in a chaotic world now. You know, not just in terms of politics, but college football and mm-hmm. pretty much everything else. Um, but that that particular race took a chaotic turn, to say the least. In that you had literally, I would say even a, a flood. That might be a little bit of over exaggeration, but you you had multiple candidates. Let's put it that way, and that is that's right on target. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple candidates that actually showed up uh, from somewhere else, literally um, that didn't even live in Florida, much less live in the district that got involved in, in your race. Um, can, can you can you talk about that dynamic? Sure, I think we had like seven or eight candidates total in the race, um, and again, I was the only one who was actually born and raised in the district. Um, a few, you know, one or two others actually lived in the district as well, but they didn't have the hometown roots that we had. Um, we did have a bunch of candidates. You know, we had one from Lake County, you know, who claimed he lived in the in the district, which, you know, you know, we, we knew by his homestead exemption exactly where he lived. Uh, and then we had candidates from Washington, D.C. We had candidates from Las Vegas, you know, all trying to claim that they understood this district. And the problem is they were all supported by outside money um, that has an agenda. You know, our money was raised from local people, local con- you know constituents. You know, sure we did get some money out of Washington D.C. as well, but but the majority of our money was all raised here. Um, and again, but you know, in politics these days, you know, money certainly matters. You know, because you got to be able to get your message out there. And certainly, when you're in a congressional district and you're talking to seven hundred fifty to eight hundred thousand people. You know, money matters to get the message out there, but uh, I'm not I'm not done with politics. You know, we're not. You know, I don't see a, another race in the immediate future, but certainly, you know, I you know I help a lot of candidates out. You know, locally and nationally. I was just in Washington this past week and working with a couple members of Congress. You know, on policy and and structure because sometimes what looks good in D.C. doesn't always work for the real world for us business people, and so you know been fortunate that I've got a lot of good relationships with members from around the country where we can kind of help them and, and kind of craft legislation to make sure that it actually works for constituents all over the country, not just, you know, in D.C. Yeah, I'd like to, we're up on our next break. I'd like to pick up exactly where you left out there, friends. We're glad you're joining us today on the Roger Franken Williams Show as we continue to, to ring in a new year. Our guest right now is Scott Sturgill. He's a local businessman, native of Seminole County. He's the CEO of DSP Partners, 
And he's also, of course, a former candidate for United States Congress. And we're talking about various things, business, community and political related. Before we go to that break, of course, I want to give a shout out. Scott was talking about the uh, small businessmen and uh, small businesses and their importance to our entire country. I want to tell you about another great small business. That's our friends up at Apopka Mower and Equipment Repair. Apopka Mower and Equipment Repair has serves only the best outdoor power equipment products and lawnmowers in the business. Talking Skag, Bad Boy, Toro, lawnmowers, and steel power equipment products. You can find out more about them at apopkamower.com. That's apopkamower.com. Apopka Mower and Equipment Repair. It's where they sell the best and they fix the rest. Friends, we'll be right back on the Roger Frank and William Show with our guest today, Scott Sturgill, CEO of DSP Partners. Please stay with us. Welcome back. Good to have you here for the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Friends, welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Presented by Christers, Prime Steak and Lobster. It's great to be with you today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to join you. Of course, the Roger Franklin Williams Show is... We talk about the issues that affect us in our community, our state, and our nation. And on our show, we do that from a perspective that honors America's founding traditions of God, family, country. Our guest right now is local businessman, community leader, and political leader, Scott Sturgill. He's, of course, the CEO of DSP Partners and a former candidate for the United States Congress. We'll go back to Scott Sturgill in just a moment. Before we do, of course, I want to let you know, especially as we begin a brand new year, about my friends over at Sheeler Auto Repair. If you are looking for an auto repair shop that will care for your car, truck, SUV, van, any other vehicle you might own with old school honesty, integrity, and dependability, I urge you to get over to see my friends Demetrius and Odysseus Fergos at Sheeler Auto Repair. No job is too big or too small for the guys at Sheeler Auto Repair. You can trust the guys at Sheeler Auto Repair. In fact, it's where I take my car. I've been taking it there for over 21 years, now going on 22 years. They're located 1908 South Orange Blossom Trail, a pop gun. Please tell them Roger Franklin Williams sent you. Now, back to Scott Sturgill, CEO of DSP Partners, former candidate for U.S. Congress, political, business, and community leader. You know, when we went to break, Scott, you were talking. We were talking about the, the dyna- dynamics of your specific race for Congress um, in the last campaign cycle, which incorporated a, a big part of Seminole County. I think also a big part of Volusia County, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, several different dynamics came into play. One, you know, multiple candidates came in from the outside the district, even outside the state. Literally, not even exaggerating there. Um, most of those, those, some of those candidates, at least, if not all, um, were were supported by huge, large you know, amounts of money, you know, coming in from specifically Washington, and and around the country, and even it even got to the point where um, later in the race, you know, um, you know, uh, there was even uh, you know talk that that even one one of the the you know Kevin McCarthy and some of his. Uh, associates, if you will, uh, were actually funneling money uh, towards one candidate against another candidate, and you know, via political, um, you know, packs or, or whatever. So anyway, anyway, it was it was a very chaotic 
chaotic kind of a race. And um, and one of the things that got my attention out from it was just there were so much, so many people coming in, flooding in from the outside and getting outside support in this race. But but anyway, just um, can you talk about? And I and I guess you know that's just kind of something that's that's a new part of the political landscape maybe now. But c- can you talk about? say from your perspective from from your businessman perspective what are some of the things that that need to be done what are some things that washington in general i'm talking both republican side and democrat side um need to know uh, um about about small town america if you will or grassroots america well, you know look, the the same issues that we face here in in seminole county and orange county and volusia county are the same issues that you know people all over the country face um just on different scales you know we're all concerned about gas prices you know we all don't want to be dependent on foreign countries, especially the Middle East, for our oil supply. I mean, I think we all agree that we love gas when it's below $2 a gallon. Um, you know, I filled up last night, and then it was like $3.10. And, you know, we all think we're getting a deal right now, um, you know, which is, which is still horrible because we should be well below $2 a gallon, especially when we have the supply here. Um, we all want, you know, a secure southern border. You know, we, we know the issues with illegal immigration and and drugs coming across the southern border, and we need to secure it, you know, just for a safe country, um, because, you know, you do have a lot of terrorism that is coming through there as well. And then, you know, keeping food prices low, you know, making sure that the economy is good, um, you know, for every, for everyone, because, you know, we're all suffering, you know, everyone's cost of living has gone up considerably, um, you know, which takes away from the economy, you know, it takes away from us being able to spend at other local businesses, you know, because your money only goes so far. So those are certainly, you know, the issues that, face everyone all over the, the country. And, um, you know, again, I was in Washington this past week meeting with some members of Congress, um, you know, who, you know, fortunate enough to call friends and some of them clients, giving them policy advice because, you know, again, what might sound good in Washington doesn't always work for small business owners or, or you know, families and stuff like that. So we want to make sure that they understand, you know, how their legislation actually affects us. Um, you know, again, everyone's talking about in Washington about, Hunter Biden and, you know, and the the indictments and everything like that and, you know, trying to impeach Joe Biden. And and I just finally told these members, I said, look, I I get what you're trying to do here. But, A, you don't have the votes to to remove President Biden. You know, know, the votes are not there in the Senate. We all I think we can all agree with that. Um, And you know what? Focus on the stuff that's affecting us. Get us lower gas prices. Get us more affordable food. Get us a secure southern border. That's what we need to be focused on not the political theater that we're seeing in Washington right now. And sometimes you're able to make sense with, you know, the Washington politicians, and sometimes you can't, uh, you know, get it through their heads, you know, of, you know, those are not the most important issues that are facing us, you know, in our everyday life. Great. Thanks for sharing great insight. Friends, we're speaking with Scott Sturgill, CEO of DSP Partners. Of course, he was a candidate for U.S. Congress in the last election cycle for the seat that represents a large part of Seminole and Volusia County. And um, we're just talking he's a, talking about various things related to community and the political scene as well. Um, now, picking up there from Scott, from your perspective, how many, um, what percentage, I guess, or you know, of, of people in Congress that that you observe, you know, um, are that remain focused on their district or there to, to you know, rem- remember <laughs> that they that they're there to serve their constituents. And the reason I say remember is because my own observations and experience shows that there are certain people that get elected uh, to high positions, Congress certainly, uh, and lower, 
that never really intended to serve the people in the first place. You know, it was mainly all about them from day one. Uh, they just have the personality and, and the skills it takes to get elected to something. Um, and, and the financial backing, of course, um, oftentimes from the machine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, there, there, unfortunately, there are others that began very sincerely motivated, uh, want to serve the public, want to be that representative for their friends and neighbors back home. But once they get there, um, they become overwhelmed by the inside, if you will, and, and they lose completely, uh, lose that focus to, to various degrees. And then there, there are the others that remained, you know, ded- remain dedicated to serving the uh, constituents. What, what is the, 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 the landscape, if you will, from your perspective? From my perspective, you know, look, I, th- I think majority of folks who run for office start off with good intentions and then they get there to washington and they're worried about political survival you know if i you know if i if i don't follow the the rhetoric then i may not be reelected. and to me that was never an you know option we had always committed to three terms and then being done so i was really never worried about next election it was always about do the right thing and you know and then if the voters want to send you back they send you back at that point but for me i think it's probably 15 to 20 percent actually are there for the right reasons now and, and you can hear it in their and, you know, when you're speaking with them and you're you're getting their their true thoughts and there's no camera there. And then, you know, the the other 80 to 85 percent, they're only worried about their next social media hit or, you know, TV network appearance, you know, or something that's going to get them in the headlines because they're worried about their own personal brand of, of growing. And we, and we see it, you know, we see it with the, the squad. We see it with on the Democrat and the Republican side of the people who have never seen a camera that they didn't like or a microphone that they did, didn't like. Um and so they're only worried about their next election or getting, you know, getting themselves on TV or, or radio or social media or that case. But I think majority of folks in Washington, they lost perspective of why they're there. And they're only worried about political survival at this point. No, thank you for sharing your insights. And, and I even even hesitated to bring that up because it's just it's, it's a net whole negative you know thing. But I think it's important, though, for for all citizens to realize you know, how disconnected Washington is and why it's important to to try to find you know people that there aren't going to be corrupted by by that situation and and that yeah, I've have observed the same thing I'm yeah, not just in the local state of Florida mm-hmm. elections is and, and and I think the one thing the reason I even brought it up is and uh, we could do a whole show if not a whole series of shows on just this topic but I don't think that the the you know the average hardworking citizen American citizen realizes all the corrupting influences once somebody gets elected to almost any position. And I'm even talking about county commission. I'm even talking about city commission in, in certain cases. Certainly legislature, certainly Congress. Um, is is you know, the the insiders, if you will, they've been there for a long time. And they know the game and they're, they're good at the game. And, and it, it's really amazing how many temptations um, are, are out there for good, sincere, w- you know, well-minded people to to, I hate to use the word corrupted, but I can't think of the word right now, uh, get corrupted by the system. And what I mean by corrupt is not taking bribes. Um, um, I'm just talking about losing their losing their way. Well, they, they get, and, they get, and, and they get, they get ser- begin to serve the insiders as opposed to the public. Yeah, they get, they get influenced by the fact of, you know, someone's calling them commissioner or congressman or, or whatever the office they hold. You know, they get, they get used to that. And I always like to say, you know, their jokes, you know, every joke they tell is, extremely funny you know when they're elected but when they're not elected their jokes really aren't that funny anymore um so they get used to that that's power. probably one of the best analogies that's one of the best analogies i've ever heard of the, of the phenomenon I'm, I'm trying to describe right i mean everyone tells them how how great they are whether again no matter what office they are you know 
because somebody wants something from them. And if you looked at most of like members of Congress, their day, their day starts at 7 a.m. and they could easily be going until 8 or 9 p.m. at night. And every 15, 20 minutes is, is blocked in their schedules. It, it's just, you know, it's a tough schedule to follow. And again, everyone tells you how great you are. And if you think about Congress, they really only have about six months to get something done on a two-year cycle because then they, get, then they have to start campaigning almost immediately and start raising money because these races are incredibly expensive. I mean, the average congressional race is probably north of $2.5 million on each side. And so, you know, when you start talking, look, look what the contribution limits are. You've got to be constantly fundraising and dialing for dollars and, and speaking to, you know, constituents who are willing to support your, your efforts. And it's, it's a tough job. But, uh, but again, I think the majority of folks have lost, lost perspective of why they're there anymore. And uh, once again, I, I don't bring it up to be negative or to even introduce a downer, but I, I think that's the reality of the situation, and I do think we need to be aware of the reality of the situation. And the solution is to try to find, you know, good candidates, um, you know, from the grassroots that that aren't or you know, have the integrity not to be um, corrupted by by those things. And uh, you're certainly one of those. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, before we uh, have to wrap up and go to our, you know, go to our break, uh, anything else you'd like to share, or specifically, can you share a little bit more about your company, uh, DSP Partners? So, DSP Partners again, we're 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 a Seminole County based, family run company. So, we, again, we do safety and promotional products. Uh, we also do political and business development consulting as well. So, it's you know, again, you know, proud to say that you know I'm born and raised here in the county, raising my my beautiful daughters here in this county, and. Uh, and we'll say go Seminole High School, you know, Sanford, you know, that's our, our home school there. But, uh, you know, again, you know, been blessed with my life and have a have a beautiful fiance. So we'll tie the knot here in, in a few years and, and get it all squared away and continue to uh, grow our company and grow our life here. Congratulations thank on you. your engagement and, and thank you for your contributions to the community. Thank you. So many different ways. Friends, we're going to go to a quick break. Great to be joined. I want to thank you, our guest today, CEO of DSP Partners and former congressional candidate and community and political leader, Scott Sturgill. We'll be right back on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And now here's Roger. And this is my turn. Friends, welcome back. To the Roger Franklin Williams Show. We're continuing on our program today to talk about tonight, to talk about the major news stories right here in Central Florida or in the sports world, frankly, um, over the past week. Of course, I would say first and foremost, um, Coach Nick Saban stepping aside as head coach at Alabama. Of course, also along with that, uh, Coach Bill Belichick stepping aside with the Patriots. We're not talking about that one. But also the other huge story locally uh, was UCF basketball, first of all, their historic game versus University of Kansas, uh, Kansas University, and then also their victory, their up, huge, dramatic upset victory over Kansas, one of the true elite programs in literally the history of college basketball and, and, and currently. Um, and, of course, we spoke with Coach with, with Russ Salerno, who, of course, was an assistant coach on the very first UCF basketball team going all the way back to 1970. Right now, before we go to our next guest, of course, I want to remind you, let you know that Talking Old School is presented by Christner's Prime Steak and Lobster, and Christner's is where you'll find generous servings of prime beef and cold water Australian lobster 
served in an atmosphere of old-school elegance and sophistication. I encourage you to make reservations, and you can get those at 407-645-4443. That's 407-645-4443. Christner's Prime Steak and Lobster. Now we are pleased to be joined by one of the legends of Alabama Crimson Tide football and one of the legends of Orange County High School football. Uh, he played at Alabama, was a three-year starter at Alabama, was an All-American his senior year when he was also team co-captain, and that was on one of the his truly historic teams in Alabama Crimson Tide football history, that Coach Bear Bryant's 1971 SEC champions. Of course, I'm speaking about Robin Pork, Parkhouse, former Boone Brave standout, former Alabama Crimson Tide All-American Robin Parkhouse. Robin, thank you for joining us today, and I you know, couldn't think of a better guest to share insights about Alabama Crimson Tide football and Coach Nick Saban. Well, thank you, Roger. I appreciate those words, kind words, and appreciate you considering and thinking about me. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And I'm uh, looking forward to uh, visiting with you. You know, it's been a little little while since your playing days back in uh, 1969 to 1971 for the Crimson Tide. Now, it doesn't seem like that long to, to you and I, but, uh, you know, if you look at the calendar, I guess it was a while ago. But the reason I bring that up is because but you still follow the program very closely and keep a close eye on the program and even take, you know, I would say fairly uh, regular visits back to Tuscaloosa. I'm sure to keep in touch with your teammates uh, and members of the other members of the A-Club. Um, first of all, what 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 do you make of, of Coach Saban stepping down? And, and can you do you have any thoughts? And I realize some of them might be speculation, but um, your thoughts about why he chose to do that at this time? Well, uh, Roger, what I know of it is uh, what I've read, some of the latest breaking that has come out on some of the, uh, you know, news sites that are covering it, obviously. And uh, I heard an interview that uh, that Coach Saban did with with, uh, Reese um, on the the, uh, ESPN. And uh, I think uh, from... From what Coach Saban said, and uh, I think he just had a real strong sense that the time was right, and that it was just you know time for him to make that decision. I actually read that he had a four o'clock meeting that day, the day that he announced his retirement, uh, a, a team meeting, and the first people he was going to make aware of his decision, of course, were were his players. And at at five minutes till four, he was on the phone with his uh, wife, Miss Terry, and still talking about the decision and whether or not, you know, whether to go ahead and, and break it and tell the team and, and go ahead and make the decision final and retire or to, you know, put it off for a little bit longer and think about it and talk about it some more. And he made that decision. He said just kind of in that final minute, he decided it was time. And um, he said some interesting things along the line that this year was a particularly very rewarding year for him. He really liked this team, and he really got a lot out of how far this team came from the where they started 
kind of without a definite quarterback, and that's the first time, I think that's maybe the first year that he hasn't had a clear-cut starter at QB coming in to start the season. And this year they had three guys that were still in the running. Nobody clearly separated themselves in the spring. And so he, uh, you know, was still making that decision. And then, of course, Milrow kind of pulled ahead in the competition. But then in the tennis uh, game, the second game of the season, they uh, he had a, a, a couple bad plays and, and a little some lack of experience and what have you. And um, and then we lost that game, which put uh, an, an, an Alabama team uh, in a very unusual uh, spot that early in the season to to have lost the game. And although, you know, obviously Texas had a very good team and also made the final four and was in the playoffs, but at the same time there were some plays and some mistakes and things that, you know, you can always break it down and find a, find a few plays. And uh, so Coach Saban sat uh, – Mill rode down for the next game and played the other two quarterbacks primarily. And, uh, but Coach Saban was so impressed with the way that Milrow reacted to that and handled that and supported the two guys competing and trying to take his job that he put him back in there. Uh, shortly after that, and it just it really got his attention, and he took off after that game, and, the and, third game. And, and yeah, and, and then can, can, and friends, we're speaking with Robin Parkhouse, former Alabama defensive end, All American, also of course product of Boone High School in Orlando, and also defensive captain of nineteen seventy one Tide under Coach Bear Bryant, who were also an undefeated regular season and SEC champions that year, the first wishbow team, um, well-known as. Now, Rock, can you talk about your insights of Coach Nick Saban and what were some of the things that you saw from your perspective uh, that, you know, the rest of the public may not have seen that you think, uh, you know, made him, caused him to have so much success uh, that he had? Well, one of the things that always, really comes to my mind in thinking about Coach Saban and the phenomenal, really incredible success that he has had coaching uh, for the last, I I think it was 17 years at the university. And he uh, he had, I always say this because it's true, he he had certain things very much in common with Coach Bryant, Bryant, but they... uh, he cared about, he cared so much about his players and really wanting the best for them and for their future and not just on the field to be the best football player for him that they could be, but he really did care about what was best in teaching them the best lessons of life and, you know, trying to prepare them to be successful in whatever life would bring their way in terms of, you know, what is it, 1% maybe of, of college players that, that make it in the NFL, if even that. And so uh, that was one thing they strongly had in favor. They both had different ways of, of you know, getting that done. But that was a foundational 
uh, uh, foundational um, something that they that they both had and focused on in terms of their ways of relating to and trying to get the best out of the players, but trying to make things give them the best opportunity to be successful playing and later in life. And and I think Coach Saban, uh, you know, sometimes with the press he could be a little short and and uh I think there was some misunderstanding about his character in terms of that. But all the people that coached with him and been around the program at a little closer uh, perspective know how important that was to him. And the players knew it. And that is a big part, foundational part, of why they played so hard for him. And that was very much in common and in line with Coach Bryant. He wanted the best for his players. And as long as you were giving him your best effort, He'd do anything he could to help you right then and there and later in life. No, great, great, great insights. And uh, Robin, we're up on our, our first break, her break here in a second. Friends, we'll be, take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue to speak with Robin Parkhouse, former Alabama Crimson Tide captain, co-captain and All-American. Played from 69 to 71 and was a member of the historic, uh, captain of the historic 1971 Alabama Crimson Tide team for Coach Bear Bryant, talking about Coach Nick Saban and Robin sharing his insights from his perspective on Coach Nick Saban's career. Well, we, before we go to that break, of course, I want to let you know about the great guys up at Apopka Mower and Equipment Repair, especially as we begin a brand new year, and we'll, we'll let you know and remind you that Apopka Mower is our one-stop headquarters for all of our lawn and garden needs. And as we've come to know as well, a Popka mower and equipment repair sells carries only the best lawnmowers and outdoor power equipment products. Names like Skag, Bad Boy, Toro, and Steel Power Equipment Products. Get up and see Mike and all the great guys at a Popka mower, and you can find out more at apopkamower.com. That's apopkamower.com. Popka mower and equipment repair. Where they sell the best and they fix the rest. Prince, we'll be right back on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Welcome back. Good to have you here for the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And now back to the studio. Here's Roger Franklin Williams. Friends, welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Hope you're enjoying the show today. It's great to have this time with you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to join you as we talk about the issues that affect us in our community, state, and nation. We're talking about a variety of the major stories that took place in sports this past week, and they were huge. Right now, we're talking about Coach Nick Saban stepping down as head coach for Alabama. We are talking about it with with true authority on uh, Alabama Crimson Tide football, Robin Parkhouse. He was co-captain of the 1971 team that went undefeated during the regular season and won the SEC. It was the wish, while known as the first wishbone team, Coach Bryant's first wishbone team. He played for Coach Bear Bryant, of course. It was a starter from 1969 to 1971 and today remains still close to the program. We'll go back to Robin Parkhouse right now. 
Robin, can you now? Here's a question that, that I that I've had, as you know, I, I think the perception that I have from from way far away, and I don't have any inside uh, information into Alabama football or Coach Nick Saban, but you know, obviously I've observed him closely all these years. Um, you know, I would say like Coach Bryant, I would suspect he's more demanding of the players, uh, both on and off the field, especially on the field, on the practice field, than most coaches, if not all coaches. Um, what is it that, in, and I guess you, guess you partially maybe have answered it um, in, the, in the last question, but what is it that you know, allows him to continue to, allowed him to continue to be successful in this transfer portal age and to continue to to out-recruit virtually everybody when it was kind of generally well-known that if you were going to go to Alabama, you, you were going to work probably harder um, in all respects than you were if you were going to go somewhere else. Well, you know, Roger, that's kind of, first I want to say this before I forget to because I know how the time goes by, but uh, I just want to congratulate you on this great show that you've had running now, Roger, for how many years does this make that you've had the show going? It's 2008. We started in 2008. Wow. That's, that says a lot right there. Says it all. That's fantastic. So congratulations on that. Well done, Roger. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, um, well, you know, there's, it kind of almost, it's, I, I wouldn't call it a conundrum, but it is, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, like you might not expect it, but the players that want to be the best and want to play for the best. And what I know part of why I was motivated to go to have an opportunity to play for coach Bryant is because not only did he have the reputation as the best, but as the toughest. And I think that, you know, football is a tough game and it's for tough guys, mentally and physically tough guys. And I think being able to go to a program that you know is going to be, even it's going to be extremely demanding to get the best out of you, that's where the best players, that's what they're looking for and what they really want. And they know from playing in the years coming up before they get to college that, you know, uh, to win football games, it's hard work. You've got to you got to put the work in if you want to have a winning team on the field, and so all of those things. Even though you would think, well, man, you know you're going to have to probably work harder and and uh, put put more into it than you might at another school or a different school playing for the toughest coach and the winningest program. Well, you're you're you know a lot of your best and good players, that's exactly what they want. That fits right into their wheelhouse. That's what they're looking for. Now, sometimes out there in the spring <laughs> or, or summer summer two-a-days, you might think, did I make the right decision or not? I'm not so sure about it. But anyway, I think that's a part of it, Roger. Thank you for, for sharing great insights, friends. We're speaking with Boone High School great, Alabama great, Robin Parkhouse joining us on Talking Old School tonight, talking about Coach Nick Saban and uh, his career. Now, now, Robin, can you share, once again, because you had a closer vantage point than most of us, you know, as you, you know, stayed close to the program all these years, a member of the A-Club, you know, remain, you know, friends with a lot of the guys you played with, your teammates, and then guys that came along after you. 
Um, what were some of the other traits that Coach Saban had, you know, that that really set him apart? And um, I mean, here I've got more specific question. You know, we hear Coach Saban always talk about the process. You know, that was pretty much his answer to almost every question would come back to just focus on the process, just focus on the process. And, you know, anybody who's uh, even observed him casually knows he was a relentlessly hardworking guy. Um, and it, But what were some of the fundamental elements of the process? I mean, like like what? Like specifically, I mean, um, was drills at practice, things off the field. Um, can, is there something you could share there? Well, it, it, the the process is is you know for Coach Saban was just it, it was really a way of life. I mean, it was something that he, he it was everything that he put into coaching in, in starting with his very first coaching job, which he realized and and knew that it was the perfect fit for him and exactly you know what it was that he wanted to do with his life. And that's where he started developing that process early on. And it starts with very similar to Coach Bryant that 100% sold, sold into it, 100%. No, no ifs and no possibilities of anything else getting in the way or, or topping that priority. It was just, you know, it was, uh, it was full out. In, in the way that they went about everything they did. And another thing that Coach Bryant and Coach Saban have very much in common, in my opinion, was that they were both very well organized, very well organized and very good administrators. They knew how to get the people around them to buy in to everything that they were trying to do and how they were going to go about doing it. And that was the process. You know, there was a plan. Everything had a plan. You know, your practices were run down to the very minute of, of of the second, even of when the whistle blew and you moved to another drill, and then you went through that drill, and everything was, you know, laid out, organized. There was no wasted time, and uh, you know, like Coach Bryant, Coach Saban, the hours and the time that they would put into that to give the players the best opportunity to try to win the game, which is why everybody plays and competes is to win. And so those, you know, that's part of the pro that why that is the process in the way, you know, what I know about it. And that he just, he fine tuned it down to, you know, as well as anybody's ever done it. That's for sure. Thank you for sharing great insights. Yes, and I mean, really, when you well, and even I, as I was observing it in real time, you know, as somebody who follows this kind of thing very closely, I've always been just uh, amazed at Coach Nick Saban, this, his his consistency of huge, big time success. I mean, it's literally almost mind boggling, and it's you know, it's fascinating to talk to you to get some insights because I've always just thought all the time about what is it that he does, you know, uh, to produce uh, at this high of a level. And as as you know, I mean, football games are hard to win. It's hard to win one game. It's hard to win one regular season game. Uh, but just for him to just dominate the way that he has at the highest level has truly been spectacular. And you find him a fascinating uh, person. And I, I really appreciate you being here to share a little bit about him with us. Absolutely, Roger. I've got a 
tremendous amount of respect and admiration for Coach Saban, to say the least. And what he's accomplished has been, you know, like it's never been done before in, in the sense of what he has accomplished in the time that he did it. You know, it's uh, to win seven national championships, six at Alabama, I thought it was also kind of interesting. And in a way, I kind of liked it in the sense that he and Coach Bryant remained, remained tied for six national championships each at Alabama. So it would have – now, don't get me wrong. I was I totally 100% wanted us to be able to, to beat Michigan and win another national championship for him to retire on. And, and to have the record, you know, that would have broke Coach Bryant's, it would have been seven at Alabama. He has seven because, of course, as you know, he won his first one at LSU. And, uh, but that they ended up at six, and that's it ended up the way it worked out. But, you know, it was just the timing was just right for him, uh, you know, in, in his mind. And, and I think this also speaks a lot, too, something very the trait that coach Bryant and coach Saban had a hundred percent in common was integrity with their players and their team. I mean, if we knew with coach Bryant, like these guys have known with coach Saban, they could count on him without a doubt. And if he said it, he meant it. And if they did it, it would work. And that was just, that was how coach Saban did it. And it's exactly how coach Bryant did it. And, you know, that's, that's another characteristic that they had. And I, it also was proven out right here when yesterday, I guess it was yesterday or day before Coach Saban announced his retirement, was that he said that there were little things that kind of happened this year. Not, you know, Sarah, my wife and I watched the games together and, and, and I, I told her that I heard him say a couple of small things that just made me go, mm, I wonder if he might be thinking of making a change. And one of them was before that championship game, I can't remember if it was before or after, I think it was before, the champ, the SEC championship game, which, by the way, he, he went out a champion. He won the SEC. And so – You've done something if you've done, if mm-hmm. you've done that. That's huge. You win the SEC, you, you're a champion. So anyway, he said that um, to Coach Smart out there on the in the middle of the field, he said to him, he said, "You were right. I'm getting too old for this." I never. He had never said anything like that <laughs> ever. You know, and he and he's he's a, a year younger than I am. He's 72 and a young 72. And, and, you know, I feel like a young 73, but still, it's, you know, you you're, you know you're not going to, you know, keep working or coaching for another 25, 30 years when you're 73. <laughs> so anyway, but he, um, he uh, said that, and I heard that, and I told Sarah, I said, you know, I, he's never said anything like that before. I just, so I thought then, well, he, there might be he might be thinking about talking with Miss Terry about possibly maybe uh, this is 
This is about it. And he did say also that um, that this year particularly was extremely rewarding to him. Like I think I said earlier, for both where the team started and then where he was, where they were able to get to, to still get to the SEC championship game and, and beat Georgia and win that game and then get into the playoffs still. He said, you know, that uh, it was just, it was very, very rewarding for him, but that at the same time, after he retired, he said this, that it, it took a lot out of it. And that he had, how, you know, in a different way than it ever had before. And, and he also said that this is the point I was kind of got to wrote, wrote talking about, but the point is, is that the integrity part of it is that what really started making him uncomfortable was when these recruits, these five-star guys and their fam- parents, families are saying, well, coach, are you going to be there another three years or, you know, four years? And, and he said that was starting to kind of, you know, how he was going to answer that and still maintain, you know, and still be honest and maintain his integrity. That was real important to him and starting to make him uncomfortable. And so I think that was a major part that uh, uh, that's a little issue right there that speaks right to his integrity. But also, I think it was telling him that it might be about time to, you know, to hang it up. Well, Robin Parkhouse, thank you for sharing your insights. Appreciate it very much. It's always great to, to catch up with you, and, and thank you for, for your kind words and, and your contributions to our show. Of course, Roger. Yeah, we need to get together and have lunch. Absolutely. You can't wait to hear, hear some stories, and we'll uh, come back and share them with the guys as well. Okay. Sounds good, Roger. Thank you. Thank you. Robin Parkhouse, Alabama Crimson Tide legend right here on Talking Old School to share about Coach Nick Saban, his career, and his decision to step down in Alabama. Friends, thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.